Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days? How many days a week do you spend out there? As much as I can, to be honest with you. Any time that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else. I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not. So you might as well be here. Texas is more about an attitude than it is a place, I think. You know, when you hit Texas, you really do enter into a different world. And I could have spent a month or two months, maybe infinity, down there trying to interview some of these legendary houndsmen from the great state of Texas. Last week, we got to hear from uh, Shannon Rasco, who I ran some coyote hounds with. What a great time and what a great guy that was. But this week, we're going to catch up with Ryan Carl. And Ryan is a professional boxer. 
and you're going to hear about all of the big fights that he's fought in, um, and he's also a coon hunter. He started out running hog dogs and some running dogs and things like that, and coon hunting is where it's at for him, and we're going to tell that story too, but this is a great episode about Ryan's story and a great message about what it takes to be a winner. Ryan's had the opportunity to box professionally. Uh, he still is boxing professionally. He's boxed in some of the the largest arenas and on some of the biggest stages for the greatest titles in the world. I'm going to let him break that all down for you in this podcast. But uh, we we got to run hogs with uh, Rigo Garcia with his side hounds and his, also his bay dogs. And it was a cool trip. So make sure you tune in next week. Well, I guess it will be the end of this week. For All Mixed Up, Seth was a madman with a recorder at the American Hunting Terrier Association uh, Yog Terrier Trials down there. He was capturing all kinds of content. I want to give a special shout out to Daryl Daniel. That guy, he tried to set me up with hunts way before I got there. The wheels fell off of almost everything we tried to do because of deer season. And uh, deer is the king there in that part of the world as it is getting to be everywhere. But we're not going to go down that road right now. I think we have to uh, find ways to bridge those gaps, and that's what this podcast is all about. But I will put out a challenge there for all of my deer hunting listeners who think that hound hunting interferes with with your deer hunting. There's only been one study conducted in uh, in the state of South Carolina, and it showed that it did not. So... I guess my question to every deer hunter out there that thinks that dog hunters are interfering with their hunting, where's your science? All right, let's move on. i got to tell you about a promo that we got going on with uh, Cajun Lights for the month of November. If you go to our website and you go to our sponsor page, you can uh, find Cajun Lights on that sponsor page. So go to houndsmanxp.com, find Cajun, go to their website. They got lights. LW just dropped a new hunting coat over there that I think looks pretty sharp. All the Cajun light equipment is there, hunting vests, all that stuff. So when you go there and you shop, Christmas is coming, by the way. It is Christmas season to be shopping anyway. I usually don't like to talk about Christmas until after Thanksgiving. That's my favorite holiday. But... uh, It's never too early to start looking ahead, and November is a good month to shop for that hunter in your life. You can go there and and find your gear, put it in your cart. When you you purchase $150 worth of gear, you can get a new leather patch cap, and this offer is for our patrons. Patreon. That's a good segue. There's so many things that, that we're offering over on Patreon. Seth is doing a great job over there managing that community. But there are several houndsmen that have already answered the call and said, man, we want to help preserve, protect, and promote this lifestyle. And when you join us at the $12 level, you are going to get a membership to the Sportsman's Alliance. If that's not answering the call, I don't know what is. So all kinds of cool stuff over there on our Patreon page, bonus material. You're going to get promo codes to all of our uh, vendors, exclusive codes that go above and beyond our general codes that we give because we want to say thank you. And uh, when you go to Cajun Lights in the month of November, LW is going to send you a a Houndsman XP leather patch cap 
when you use your Patreon code to order from there. So you're going to get 10% off and you're going to get one of our new leather patch caps. Guys, I want to get into this, man. Ryan had so much cool stuff to talk about. There's life lessons in this thing. There's there's conversations about it, boxing and the parallels to boxing. And I can't tell you how important it is to making hound hunting mainstream conversations to feature these professional athletes that are also houndsmen. So let's get down to it. The old South Dog Box is rocking. So let's get the tailgate down. It's time to dump the box. Ryan, I appreciate you sitting down with us and sitting down with me while I'm down here on my Texas trip. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're right here. This is right on the edge what I what I've seen kind of the edge of where you know, you come down through Arkansas and you get into East Texas and you get down here and the grass is different, the trees are shaped different. You're right on the edge of that going into that big what everybody thinks of as Texas ranch country. You yeah. Know? This is this is a great area. Yeah, you get a lot of oak trees. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a fun area. You get some good good water around here still in spots, yeah, yeah. you know. And uh it's not too dry normally. You know, this year's been pretty bad for us. But we did just get some rain and so uh but it's not too bad. Now now you keep going west, you keep going south, a little bit southwest, yeah. you're gonna get into trouble, you know. You're gonna have right. a, you're gonna need a totally different dog. So Yeah. Yeah. Well that's why I want to talk to you 'cause you're you're down here right in the right on the brink of it and every pkc hunter knows about this area of texas you, know, you get the jewett classic mm-hmm. and the lone star 5000 and you know every year people come from all over the country it's in a great time of the year because mm-hmm. we're no tired leaves. of the snow and and everything in the north and the cold nasty weather and mm-hmm. so what what's like your low temperatures for this part of texas okay so we're gonna generally speaking during the winter time, a lot of times we're just going to be running the 30s. Uh, sometimes we're going to be in the 20s, not uh-huh. a lot. Yeah. And probably normally about three or four days in the upper teens. Yeah. Maybe. Some years we don't have that, you know. So and, you guys uh, still got to bury water lines, but you don't have to bury them real We got to bury them like six inches, you yeah. know. I mean, it's yeah. not. Now, uh, we've <laughs> always been fine on that, but. Now you go back to the to the Texas to, to the Texas blizzard we had back in 2020, the end of 2020 oh, and yeah. the early 21, and uh, water pipes busting. I had them busting my underneath my slab, and leaking in my wall, and mm. you know I turned into a plumber overnight. Right. And uh, it took you know everybody had issues from that. You know I had to re redig lines out mm-hmm. everywhere pretty much right from that. And so, but I mean, it what's was. What's your daytime highs normally here, like in the middle of winter? Middle gets, of winter? Yeah, it gets down to 20 at night or maybe 30 at night. Then well, I mean, we're going to be, we're pretty warm. We're going to be in the 50s most day at least, you know, it's not, or sometimes in the 40s, you know, but usually, usually in our reality, we're, we're 50s, you know, to 60s. You know, yeah. we're not, we're not going to be too awful cold. And, uh, and it's great. Our winter time is great. Everybody loves the Texas winter yeah. because it's not, it's not too cold. You can still do everything you need to, but it's not too hot. Right. You know, the, the fall and the spring are the best time of year, you know, as far as getting around and doing things, you can do everything you need. Right. Summertime, uh, some yep. people just aren't made for it. You know, it's just, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do all those things you want to do. You can't work outside all day for a lot of people. They can't, you know, right. and, and it, uh, it makes it difficult. So if you're working in Texas construction work, something like that, uh, or even as a, as a fighter, as a boxer, you're going to be tough mm-hmm. because those gyms are going to be, 
a metal building, nobody has air conditioner. You know, nobody has AC. You're in a hot metal building. Maybe maybe you got one or two doors open, you know. Is that right? Yeah, and so uh, boxing gyms, you're, you're expected to be over 100 degrees in the gym. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Every gym I've ever been to. I remember the first gym I went to was air conditioned. I told Dad, I said, this ain't no boxing gym. I was I was probably... I was probably 17, 18 years old. I've been boxing since, since I was 11. First gym I got to that was, yeah, it was, it was probably when I was about 18 years old. 17, I was sparring pros, and I was in Houston, Texas, and the first time I got some AC in a gym. I said, this is weird, Dad. I don't like this, hmm. you know. And, uh, yeah. but, you know. We're going to talk about all that, but let's get back to, I want to talk about, you know, some, well, let me just lay this out. The reason I wanted to talk to you is, um, uh, because I like talking to people that are driven and focused and know know where they're at, which direction they're headed. And I think uh, you take your professional boxing career, and and there's lessons there in all of life. Sports is a, is like a microcosm of our life. You know, whether it's going to the boxing ring for for a boxing match or you're going to play football or whatever. All that preparation and everything culminates in that one event at that time. And during the event, then you see the highs and lows. You know, you see successes and then you, you know, you battle back from adversity. And, and you know, not every match is going to be uh, or every game is going to be a total domination. And there's going to be times within that where there's going to be struggles. So, so for me, when I look at sports, whether it's a college football game or a boxing match or MMA or whatever, or it's competition coon hunting. Yeah. It's all the same. It's all the same. You know, it's just different. The The arena's different. The competitors are the same. The struggles are the same. And that's, that's why I want to talk to you about, you know, and, and bring some of these parallels from uh, professional boxing, your personal life, and – coon hunting and how it all comes together yeah well you know, boxing in all reality has taught me more than probably anything mm -hmm. besides besides the bible <laughs> you right. know I, I have learned more from boxing in life is how to live my life and what to expect from life and mm -hmm. how to deal with it and uh, that's probably the biggest thing is how to deal with it right so um like you talk about sports all this kind of pours over into everything i do from from having that drive, mm -hmm. having that that uh, that heart, the 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 ability to not give up when things get bad, you know. So, say I go and I fight, and I'm in this really hard fight, and I'm in a ten or twelve round fight, and say I'm losing four rounds in, I'm getting I'm getting worked, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm getting, I can't do nothing. I'm trying to do for four right. rounds, you know. I've got to be able to adjust in the middle of the storm. You got to do it right now. You can't wait or. You can't be content with just losing. I'm just going to keep going. I just don't want to get knocked out. I want to keep going just like I'm going, you know. You're not going to play so that you you're not you don't want to play safe. Well, right? it's like it's like when my son he played basketball and I said, "Man, you're shooting the ball like you don't want to miss." Yeah. You know, you got to shoot that ball like you're going to make every one. That's right. You can't be you can't be shooting or you, you can't be playing like that. You can't be playing not to lose. You got to play to win. That's right. Like so, I tell my son, I said, "You're all in or you're nothing." Mm -hmm. I said, "No, no in between. You can't be in between. Mm -hmm. You hustle as hard as you can, and if you're going to do it, you do it, and you try to do it right as best as you can, or don't do it at all." I said, "Because 
the only people that are rewarded are the person that act in the moment and that can do it to the fullest extent right then. Yeah. You you get nobody gets rewarded for waiting. Mm-hmm. I said the longer you wait, the harder it is to do it, and the opportunity's gone. You're just not going to be there. You're never going to get that chance ever again in your life, whatever it is. And so, uh, with me boxing, it taught me. Uh, so I was in fights all the time. I grew up in Cameron, Texas. Uh, actually, you know, I was born in Brenham, Texas, mm-hmm. over there by the Bluebell Factory, probably right there in it. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> gotta love that. That's 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 the Lord's ice cream right there, Bluebell. <laughs> and uh, and so. I was raised in Cameron, went to school in Cameron, kindergarten through sixth grade. Red-headed, freckle-faced boy. I was in fights all the time. The youngest of four. Uh, brothers? Third, older brothers? I got an older brother. So the oldest is the brother, and two middle are sisters. Who was the toughest, the sisters or the brothers? The toughest? Uh, probably me from having to deal with them, you know. But no, uh, <laughs> my brother. My brother by far. Yeah. And uh, Ronnie, Ronnie actually, he boxed too, and uh, he's probably more talented than i ever was he just had different goals in mind he was 16 when we started fighting or boxing and i was 11 he was looking for girls and stuff like that and i was into sports that's what i was into i was 11 years old and so uh but no so i grew up over there in cameron and i was in fights all the time you know the first thing i remember my daddy ever teaching me besides the fact that he loved me was how to fight yeah and uh you keep hitting them until something you don't stop hitting them until the teacher pulls you off don't you ever stop and you never get on top of somebody and hit them because somebody come up and kick you in the head or something. You know, right. Daddy grew up real rough, and um, taught me things like that. And he, uh, of course, he said, "So you think you're going to get in a fight, son? You hit him right then. You don't ever let nobody hit you first. He always told me that. And uh, but like I said, my daddy grew up really rough. Uh, mama died when he was a little little kid. He's six, seven years old. His mama died, and his uh, daddy ran a bar of his home on the weekends only. Mm-hmm. And so he was home alone all week with his siblings. Uh, living like a bunch of heathens <laughs> and so uh didn't have nothing they needed you know and so he, they made do he lived like he had to and uh so he taught us the same way and i remember growing up and having a in fights all the time somebody say something you know back then everybody wanted to come out with your mama jokes and daddy was always big about you don't let nobody talk, say nothing about your mama or say nothing about any of us but especially not your mom of anybody right. and so i'm in fights every day Every day at school, I'm in fights, and I was never scared, never bothered me. I could fight the drop of a hat. didn't bother me, you know, uh, probably from being the youngest of four, you mm-hmm. know, fighting all the time with my brothers and sisters, and uh, my sisters are both, they're not little bitty wimps or nothing either. They're 5'10 and 5'9, and right. they're both strong, <laughs> and they both know how to punch because Daddy taught them, and so <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was rough living, and uh, but... And so I grew up doing this, and I know how to fight and how to do all this stuff. And I was in, you know, I was in fights. It didn't bother me in ISS and things like that. The thing I told my my girls when they went to went to school, I said, "Hey, I don't want to come to school for one of you being in a fight. You both better if be in I, a fight. If I, that's right. If I come yeah. to school, and for one of you, there better be you both better be sitting in that office. That's right. Yeah, hey, I agree with that. And so we were always real tight knit like that, like uh, family over everything. Is the way we were raised. Yeah. Your, your brothers and sisters, your mom and daddy, over everything. Mm-hmm. Right there, that's it. Nothing else in between. I don't care who it is, what you're doing. Uh, I don't care if it's your girlfriend. I don't care. You know, your sister over everybody. You know, right. Just like that. And so uh, we finally got to boxing. I remember my brother wanted to box. My mama found a boxing gym in Waco, Texas. Waco Boxing Club. Your mom found it. My mom found it. My dad, my dad had, we had a boxing bag in the house, taught us how to fight and all those things, you know. He had boxed a little bit. It was when he was younger, but uh, 
My mom found the boxing gym for us boys. She didn't want to let the girls box. Now, looking back, she says, I should have let them box. Right. She goes, but they were girls. I didn't know much about it. I didn't want them to box. You yeah. know, I, I think about their noses, you know, right. and uh, being a mama. And so uh, we go to this boxing gym. I didn't even want to go because I was playing with my friend. I was real big into football, doing all these things, peewee football, and I live for football. And so we go, and my brother, he's sparring. He knocks he knocks a guy down the first time sparring, drops him. He could he could just real natural power, naturally punch and just things about him. And I loved it. I just love boxing. It's a one-on-one thing. It's me and them, and I was small. Right. And so I was big into football, but I was little, you know. So mm-hmm. I think I was 12 years old. I weighed 73 pounds my first fight. I was tiny. No kidding. I was tiny. Yeah. And so uh, I start boxing, and I fall in love with it. You know, I just do. I, lo- I love the sport. I love I'm not scared to fight, and it's a, and everybody always told me, oh, I could never box. I just see red, and I'm, it's not like that. You know, right. you haven't been in very many fights, I guess. You know, I don't know. And uh, I said, it's not like that, though. In a box, I said, you're fighting somebody that is training just to fight you. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, this isn't just some random guy that doesn't know how to fight, that uh, just in the street or in a bar that's drunk and, you know, he's handicapped in this way. Right. So this is a guy that's been training hard, eating right, working out. Watching films on Watching you. films just to beat you up. Right. You know, I mean, he's not scared at all. So you got it gives you a different kind of mentality on it. But um, the biggest thing I learned from boxing at that time was respect for others and myself, um, and confidence is mm-hmm. what it gave me. It gave me so much confidence. I after that, after I started boxing, my fights cut down in that school in Cameron probably to twenty percent of what I was doing in fights all the time. I didn't have to. Yeah, I didn't feel like I had to. I didn't feel like I. <clears throat> Had to hit somebody just because they said something. It was different, and uh, not to say that anybody still says any, said anything about my mom. I still hit them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, I didn't get in so many fights, you know. And um, and I remember we moved to Milano School after that. Uh, our house burned down, and so we ended up moving back over here. And didn't I, I think I got in maybe uh, one fight, maybe the whole time I was here, you know, from mm-hmm. seventh grade all all the way through twelfth. But I was fighting. I was boxing a lot more. I still wasn't big. I didn't hit 100 pounds until my freshman year, second semester, you know. Yeah. And so when I graduated, I was I was fighting at 141 as an amateur. I was never a real big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was always, in everything I did, I played hard and I was tough and I did the best I could. And I was real big about that. And so, but it taught me so much in all my sports. I don't ever remember being tired in any sport I ever did besides boxing, maybe cross country. I'd get yeah. tired, you know, of course, in cross country, pushing myself to the max. But like in football, I remember watching guys exhausted. I was like, "This is easy," because right. I boxed year round. You know, I never never took a break off of boxing. And so all these sports, it was always different. But boxing taught me so much as far as respect and comfortability and how to get over things, how to lose. Yeah, go out there and lose, and not just not just lose, lose in front of everybody watching you. You've got a crowd of people watching you fail, right? So you think about what you do in your job. And you mess up and your boss, you know, reprimands you or whatever, right? You fail. Your boss brings you into the office and he tells you how you did a bad job and you go on about your day. But how about your boss taking you out there on a stage in front of hundreds of people as an amateur and reprimanding you there, you know, in front of everybody? That's what it is. You know, they're going to see you either win or fail. You're going to live and die by the sword. You are who you are. You can't say you're something that you're not because everybody can see it. You know, you're right in front of everybody. So you learned how to deal with, you know, core principles in your life like humility and 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 defeating your own ego and, and things like that and those 
moments. Humility. Uh, that, that's a word for you right there. Humility. Uh, if, if anything boxing teaches you, it's definitely humility. Yeah. You, you're going to become humble. And if you're not, uh, you, you will soon. You, know, you, think you, every boxer, you think every boxer learns that? I think you, they have to. Or they just don't do it. But we don't see that. We don't see that in the the you know, the Mike Tysons and the Floyd May- Mayweathers and Well, so if you if you listen to a lot of Mike Tyson stuff, so Mike Tyson, uh, you know, he was definitely a different animal back then. Mm-hmm. Um and he he still talks about it. And it's funny the way he explains it, because it's it's very similar to the way I feel and I never never thought about it. He said although I'm never scared, I'll say that. But he would say that whenever I am uh when the fight is made he goes, I'm scared to death. And he said, every day of training, every day, I get more and more confident. And by the time I get to the ring, I'm invincible. And so that that, that was why he appeared that way. Yeah. It's because it was all the mentality and the strength going into it. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm never scared. I would never say that I'm ever scared of a fight or a person in general. I used to be scared of my dad. As I've become closer to God, I'm not scared of anybody, you know, mm-hmm. in my faith. And so... Uh, He'll still whoop me. And, uh, I mean, you got to realize I'm 5'10". My dad is 6'4". And I didn't get blessed with the height and the yeah. size and the strength that he has. And so, but I think that all fighters are going to feel the same thing. Mm-hmm. But it's all about preparedness. And the only thing that scares me, I'll take that back. The only thing that scares me is being tired. Getting tired in the ring. Being That's unprepared. Being unprepared. Being tired. Because that is how you get hurt. That's it. Mm-hmm. Be, I mean, of course, you can get hurt. Uh, a lot of fighters have gotten hurt and things like that. Usually, almost always, when fighters get hurt in the ring as a professional, it is due to what has happened before the fight. Mm-hmm. The the making the weight, hurting themselves making the weight, or hurting themselves in sparring too big of guys or too much, and not taking rest, not giving their not giving themselves rest, and that's how they end up getting hurt. But um, the only thing that scares me is being unprepared. I, it's terrifying to think of getting in the ring, not at your best. Right. You know that 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 applies to military. Yeah. You know, to the elite the elite military units. Um, you know, the reason they're so good is because they're so well prepared. Yeah. You know, and and when you're preparing for those, you know, those workups, for those deployments, you're going through the most mundane details. But you're trying to you're striving for for excellence every time you do it. That way, when you get into a bad situation, just like Natural. Mike Tyson, you're prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel invincible. I've been here. I've done that. Yeah, not worried about nothing. I <clears throat> right. got it. You know, it's it's, yep. it's natural reaction. It's natural ability. It's um, not. It's not that that Marines, you know, individually are a bunch of badasses. It's that they're prepared for what they're getting ready to do. That's right. You know, and. Um, the same way with seals and rangers and boxers and professional football players, you know it, consistency because they're prepared because and the only way di- to become how much discipline. What's okay? How much discipline? Where do you find the personal discipline to continue to prepare? So my thing used to be uh, just a hunger, just a hunger to want to be the best. Mm-hmm. I want to be the best, and not only do I want to be the best, I want to provide for my family. So that was where I used to have my, I wouldn't say discipline, my motivation. Mm-hmm. It used to be my motivation. And so I used to train because I'm so competitive. And whenever they would put me like I, I was living in Houston whenever I first turned pro. We moved to Houston. Me and my wife did. 
and uh, started training with Ronnie Shields. You know, Ronnie Shields trained Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, and all these guys, right? The Charlo, Jamal Charlo, and he's 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 a Hall of Fame trainer, right? Yeah. And so I trained with Ronnie. I knew him in the amateurs. I sparred his guys, and then we turned pro with them and stuff. And so my thing then was competitiveness. I was around all these other fighters, and I was living there, and I was training all with them, not just doing my boxing training, but also my uh, strength training right there. And so we were doing the strength training, and it was funny because you would see the guys the way they looked at it. They are going to go to strength training. I was going to strength training to win. Mm-hmm. They're like, what are you talking about to win? I'm like, I'm going to be better than all of y'all today. And all this running and all this lifting weights we're going to do, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to do it faster, harder, better than you in every way. And there's nothing I could turn off or do. Like, I couldn't just go and just, like, play around and work half-heartedly because I had to be better than that guy working out. It was just – it's just a thing that I have. I'm just so competitive in boxing mm-hmm. or in – you know, I'm not that competitive in everything. My son would tell you I am, but I'm not, you know. <laughs> like, uh, coon hunting, I'm not as – like, in competition hunting, if I haven't been able to really – now, if I've been working my dog and I've been hunting like I should, I'm I'm competitive. But if I haven't, I'm not at all, right? Because right. I'm not going to hold my dog to a standard I wouldn't hold myself to. And so um, – Let's let's talk about, you know, the finish up that part about training in the professional gym mm-hmm. and then roll into that side of it about okay. competition hunting. Okay. So as far as that and the professionalism, I'm around these people, and I've got to be better than them. So that mm-hmm. was always my motivation. And now that I have moved back home because my kids need me, it's too hard on my children for me to be away – for camp, right? So we moved back here, I don't know, probably f- five, four or five years ago or six years ago. We moved back How to Molino. How many Molino. kids do you have? I've got four kids uh-huh. and a fifth on the way. So and what are the ages of I like the kids? being broke and tired. <laughs> no. So I've got an eight-year-old. I've got a three-year-old. I've got a – my little girl is about 22 months old, so mm-hmm. she's almost two. I've got a seven-month-old. And so everything in this past three years has been happening pretty fast. And uh, I had a pretty good break on the first and second one. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is nice. You know, so four years, it was longer than I really we wanted to have kids every two years apart, but ended up having a big break and then thinking we were still going to get big breaks. We got no breaks. Right. The, 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 <laughs> the, the more we went, the less we got. And so, but, uh, so that was what I had was, mo- <laughs> but that was my motivation. And that when I move back, I'm training. I'm having a. I'm training all my trainings with my dad at the house, like I always did, all the way through the amateurs. So I was training with my dad at the house, and I'm training in Brian, with Carl Perry, at the Brian Boxing Club. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know they work together, both my trainers. And so, I go back and forth. A lot of times, I'm always, almost always by myself training. And so it's totally different. I don't have anybody to compete with. Yeah. I'm at home. I don't have anybody to compete with. <clears throat> and now it's turned into. Uh, and I was. I had a struggle there for a while. Not knowing I had a struggle. I mean, I knew I had a struggle working out and doing things. It was like, wasn't so. And now I've developed, of course, discipline. I wish I had the discipline now I had. I wish I had this discipline when I was 18. Yeah. Total, total, you know, total right? different life. I'm 30. Mm-hmm. Total different life. Just because uh, I never understood it. You know, my dad always told me, you got to love it, Ryan. You got to love doing these kind of workouts. And now I understand. I understand that. You know, yeah. wholeheartedly. You got to do it no matter what. Don't matter if you like it or don't like it. Doesn't so you're matter. still you're still training right now. Yeah, I'm in training right now. Are you in training for a fight, upcoming fight? Yeah, either. Okay, so we've had some fights pushed back. This this year's been kind of a, a since COVID hit. It's kind of been like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had one fight a year since COVID hit, and so I fought in February, 
on Fox in Vegas, and then I was supposed to fight again, and it's like negotiations with different people, and always falling through, nothing's as stable as it was, it's getting back back to normal, but it's not there yet. So, We're so looking at December or January. What weight class are you fighting? This fight will be at welterweight 147. 147. And what's the, man, we could go so deep in, but this is a hound podcast, so we can't go real deep, but uh, what's the highest What's the top bill fight you've ever fought? I fought for the world title at 140 pounds in 2020. I lost, and uh, I got a pretty bad cut, a couple of them, from my headbutt, and I bled like a stuck pig yeah. and uh, couldn't see. But that's not an excuse. I lost. Where was that fight at? San Antonio. It was on Showtime Pay-Per-View. That was a co-main event. And it was the first fight back from COVID with fans. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they, they put us up in a hotel on the third floor. And we couldn't leave the floor for a week. Like a bubble type thing. We were in the bubble. That's exactly what they called it. So yeah. I COVID tested twice a week for about 12 weeks for the whole camp because it was a long camp because it kept getting pushed back because of COVID. Yeah. And uh, and then when we get to the fights, I'm COVID tested again. And if I would have popped positive at the fight, my fight's pulled. It's over. Yeah. I can't fight. Now you just did 12 weeks of work and you're about to be in your biggest fight of your life and you can't do it. You know, and so we had to eat the food they had there. We took a lot of food ourselves and things like that. And so it was it was quite strange. It was really different. Did it did it work on your mental part when they when you had to go through all that part? Your did it well, work on your mental game a little bit? Uh, not really for me because I uh, it didn't bother me much. I was I was pretty much I'm, I'm kind of in the zone. We made weight great. We did everything great. We worked so hard. Uh, I actually went to my parents' house for camp, even though we only live. We only lived at the time about five or six miles from them. Yeah. I lived, went to my dad's house, and I stayed there for camp, the entire camp. No kidding. Because it's a, it's a bubble, of course. So I stayed there the entire camp, and my son actually didn't go to school. And they stayed in a bubble themselves so I could see them. He So he was homeschooled yeah. for the, the whole time I was in camp just so he could be around me. Because if not, he couldn't see me. Right. And so it was definitely it was different. Yeah. But, you know. So who'd you fight? I fought Mario Barrios, who was a world champion, you mm-hmm. know, and he's he's a he's a he's a very good fighter. We want that fight back, of course. Um, we're just we haven't received it yet. We've asked for it, but we haven't gotten it. It's Looking part of for the rematch. Looking for the rematch, always. You know, I, I've got I'm 19 and four as a pro. Uh, I've been trying to get the rematch. My first loss, I was 13 and 0, lost to a 15 and 0, Eddie Ramirez, and we haven't been able to get that rematch back either. I lost to Kevin Watts right after my elbow surgeries. I had a Tommy John surgery on my left elbow, and I had a bone spurs on my right. And uh, I wasn't prepared. That's all it came down to. I got tired. Yeah. You're nothing. You get tired, you're nothing. All that you know means nothing. You know, you're tired. You can't do it. You can't implement it. So That's, you know, everybody talks about professional athletes, and, and or we, we we look at these professional athletes, and a lot of times we don't understand why they train so hard. You know, it's it's so that they can think clearly in the moment. It's so that they can avoid injury. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you could take the smallest guy, in even on a high school team anymore, and hit me right now, and <laughs> it'd be devastating for me. You know, because they've yeah. been training for that. You know, and taking that kind of hit, it just it would it would destroy me because yeah. I'm not trained You're not for prepared. It. I'm not, You're not prepared. prepared. Being prepared is is key to life. Yeah. So let's talk about coon hunting. I want to make this transition and talk about how all the things that you've learned in boxing 
uh, how we can apply those to having a better experience, more success, um, you know, more fun. I, I can tell you, man, that, that I'm with you. The times that I've walked into a cast where I wasn't prepared is when the nerves start getting to you. Yeah. You know, and I'm always nervous before uh, a big cast. You know, if I'm if I'm going into the third night of an event and, and uh, have a chance, you know, I'm going to be ner- nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the thing that worries me is when I'm not prepared. You know, that's when... When you don't know exactly what your dog's going to do. Exactly. Your dog is not prepared. You might feel like, you know, a lot of people, they don't they don't. That's realize what's that. unique. You about... don't, yeah, you don't realize that your dog's an athlete. So mm-hmm. it's easy for me because I think of myself and I put myself in the dog's position. I say, Ryan, you've been training once a week for the last three weeks. You think you're going to go fight one of these top pros, one of these top fighters, and you're going to be any good? Yeah. I mean, you're going to try. Don't get me wrong. I've got heart, but but the likelihood of you being successful, slim to none. You know, yeah. it's just a fact. And so when I take my dog hunting once a week, and I haven't been hunting him a lot, you know, hardly at all. He's kind of out of shape. He's fat. He's going to get tired. Guess what happens when you get tired? You don't think right. You can't do nothing successful. You think dogs do that too? Exactly. I, I think yeah, I think all things do. Mm-hmm. I think I think everything does. Whenever they get tired, you start resorting to uh, what you can do: survival. After after you get tired, you've got to. Most people resort to survival, mm-hmm. and so it's only very few people or dogs or anything that whenever things get really hard, you get really tired and continue and don't yeah. quit. Well, through all this professional boxing and stuff, have you coon hunted through the whole thing? Or I've, uh, yeah, I've coon hunted through the whole thing. I don't I don't uh, hunt during a camp. Right. So it's always kind of it's always put me in a spot with my dogs. Right. So right. I'll uh, I'll hunt really hard right after a fight's over. I'm talking about I'll get home the next night, I'm in the woods, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll be in the woods three, four, five times a week at least, you know, and I'm hunting during the day times too because it's like I went through this withdrawal period for at least eight weeks, and I've got to get it back. That's how I feel. And so <laughs> well, I'm let's... hunting, and I've got these fat, out-of-shape dogs when I start, <laughs> you know. Oh, man. How did you start hunting? It sounds like, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm asking myself this question. It's like, man, with all this boxing and the different places you've lived and you know, how did hunting start for you? It's just... Uh, did your dad hunt? My dad didn't really hunt. No, my dad didn't hunt, uh, didn't coon hunt. He didn't uh, do a lot of hunting anyways. Uh, in general, we did some, but not really, you know. And so, But I was always interested, very interested in dogs. I always loved dogs. Yeah. We, had, we had game chickens my whole life growing up and things like that. And we had dogs and stuff, so I'm always into things like that. What and kind of dogs do you have when you had the game chickens? They had a Great Pyrenees dogs. Okay. And he had a shepherd dog out there, a German shepherd, uh, Pyrenees cross. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, well, how'd that transfer he over was to, to coon hunting <laughs> and chasing stuff around? At, just at learning them. Just learning them. We had an old dog named... That, that dog named Roger. Uh, that old dog would catch a chicken for you. Never seen a dog like it since. You could go anytime you go catch a catch a rooster out of a pen. He'd hit the back of the pen, go straight to the back of the pen, push his rooster forward every time. Mm-hmm. I remember little kids chasing chickens down. I could take there wasn't a chicken alive that could outrun me. Well, Rocky trained like that. I'm talking about Rocky couldn't. Have, <laughs> Rocky couldn't. Have, he wouldn't have made a pebble on me. I'm talking about. I, I could fly now. I chase every chicken down. The more game hens, you know, the yard hens. Oh you're talking about catching from time time to catch them brood hens or time to catch them out the yard. <laughs> you better be in shape. You got you got you got to get they got to get tired before you do. So yeah. 
Uh, Old Mick was on to something, wasn't the, he, when he was training It wasn't a bad idea. I remember the first time I seen it, I was like, I've been doing this for years. I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be great at this, you know. That's all I got to do. I'll be the best. And I was naturally gifted as a runner anyways. And so, but I remember chasing these chickens down and this dog having the sense. And this, this, I remember this stag started to come off the ground, started to fly. And, and that was the worst thing that could happen. You know, we got all these oak trees out here and these, these chickens, you'd be chasing them, these game hens. And these games, these little young stags, they took off flying. They're going to get oh, to yeah. the tree. You're stuck. Yeah. You got to go find something else to chase. He's going to get his rest up there. And when he comes down, he'll be fresh. <laughs> he ain't coming down until he's ready. Right. And uh, I remember this this uh, this dog catching his rooster in his mouth. He's coming off the ground. This dog catches his rooster in his mouth. And I'll never forget it. And he's got his paws on this rooster holding him like this with his face down there. But he's not biting him. He's not hurting him at he's all. He's just holding him. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Because I'd never, nobody had ever taught this dog nothing like this. You know, no one had ever giving this dog commands, taught him anything like this, mm-hmm. naturally, holding this dog, smart, just intelligent, you know, yeah. and I caught this chicken, and I'll never forget that, blew my mind, I was like, what can I do with these dogs, Right. these dogs can do anything, Yeah. and of course, uh, you know, I watch where the red fern grows, so I'm, I'm practically a specialist at this point, you know, I already know right. everything about it, you know, <laughs> um, got at least, you know, three red bones, and no, I'm just kidding, but, uh, you know, and so that's how dogs kind of worked on me from there. I had labs and stuff like that as a kid, and I, I loved them. I remember we went to go pick up this yellow lab from a guy down here named Ronnie Westbrook, and mom says we pull up, and I don't hardly ever remember it. She said we pull up, and he said he got this big old, two big old black labs just trying to act like they're going to eat you alive. And she says next thing she knows, she sees me already up there walking in front of the car, just walking up there, petting one of them, walking off. Just, uh, she said I was like six or seven. She was like, you just didn't yeah. care. It's like, you know, you weren't real worried, real scared, but I'm, I'm intelligent. No, I'm not going to walk up on any dog. Any dog looks mean. I believe it. You got it. bit by the preacher's dog. I got dog. bit by the preacher's dog. <laughs> Two of them. And so I keep my distance, you know, from, from right. preachers and dogs. And so, no. But, uh, you know, that kind of worked on me from there. And I started hunting with my friends. We moved to Milano. I was over here doing hog hunting and stuff. That's really what I got into was hog hunting. No kidding. You started so hog hunting. I did a lot of hog hunting. I had some running walker crosses. And uh, I liked hound dogs. Yeah. I just did. I liked the hounds. I just, I liked them. So I had like some three-quarter hound, quarter cur dogs and stuff. And and my cousin, Jerry West, my daddy always told me my whole life he had hounds over there in Holland, Texas. And so we went over there. And I said, Dad, let's stop by Jerry's. I was probably 18, 17, 18 years old. And uh, we stopped. I, I might have been, yeah, I was around 18. And I stopped by and talked to Jerry. He's got blue ticks. And so I talked with Jerry for a while, and he wants to go hunting. I was like, yeah, then let's go hunting. You know, me and my buddy Matt over here in Gauls, Matt Jens, talking about going hunting, coon hunting, because his daddy coon hunted. Right. And uh, right over American Heritage Hunt and all this stuff. And so we get out there with Jerry. comes out there, goes hunting, and it's like instant. It's instantly over for me. I don't have any hog dogs anymore. I'm coon hunting. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. It's a totally different type of sport, totally different kind of rush, but I loved it. And yeah. so I'm coon hunting now all the time. And, you know, my, my great, his daddy, which has been my uh, great uncle, started the Nolan Creek line of blue ticks. And uh, I think his kennel, regist- was kennel was registered with UKC in 1956. Nolan Creek Pride. Nolan Creek Pride. And, yeah. And, that's, and the the old Nolan Creek Pride dog they had. And, you know, I've got the Nolan Creek Pride now, much right. younger. And, uh, of course, that one's dead. But um, Where'd those dogs go back to beyond that, do you know? Warren. Warren up there in Oklahoma. You know, everything everything came Warren from Hustle. him, essentially. Yeah. Smoky uh, River. Yeah, Smoky River. Straight from him. Originally, <clears throat> the original dog he bought, I think the first one was called Nolan Creek Ring. And uh, from, straight from Warren. 
And so, do you know what dog, which which uh, one of Warren's dogs that came from? You know, I've got the pedigree at the house. Yeah, and I'd have to go back and look and and see. I can't remember at the moment. Uh, he, he bought two of them at the same time. Uh, I can't remember if they were littermates or not, but I remember a Ring, and I can't remember that Jerry would know. Jerry, mm-hmm. Jerry, sure. don't forget. You know, right. Jerry knows everything about dogs. I got any kind of questions about anything that ever happened, any kind of pedigree, I just call Jerry. Yeah. As long as it's not anything recent, he'll tell me word for word. He'll recite to me an entire pedigree off a dog that he never owned, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, but I got into these dogs, and, and it was uh, it's neat because it's my family, you know, of course. And Jerry had a lot of respect for him. Really nice. You know, uh, first dog I ever got was from Bobby Isabel. And uh, Jerry bought the dog for me. You know, he bought him for me. And uh, cause I was like, I don't know, Jerry. I'm spend this money on this dog right now. It's, I was young, and. He said, "Well, you just pay me back when you can. Mm-hmm. Just don't worry about it." I said, oh, "I don't, I don't like that, Jerry. Don't I don't like that. I don't want to, you know, you to do nothing like that." And he said, "Don't worry about it. I done did it. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's too late." And so, and uh, Jerry ended up giving me the rest of the dog. I went to go pay him uh, for the dog, and he said, "Nah." You, was you he a finished dog at the time? Yeah, he was an old dog. Okay. He's perfect dog for me to have a first dog. So you, he found a dog that could teach you to come. Yeah, around. that's right. He yeah. set me up perfect. You know, he was like, he was trying to get me into it all he could, all the time. And so I'm mm-hmm. hunting with him all the time, uh, going with him all these different places, going to go hunt with him and, uh, you know, these different guys he's introducing me to that I'm still friends with, Robert Tompkins and these guys like this. And so uh, just what, little what by you, little. What do you think would have happened if he would have gave you, you know, a pup? Or a dog that that uh, didn't own anything off the yard, or or gave you one of the leftovers. That... Give me a call or something yeah. like that. Yeah. What do you think would have happened? Uh, I wouldn't Kuna. have been interested. Wouldn't have been no fun. Wouldn't have been no good. I remember walking and taking this dog hunting for the first time. <laughs> me and uh, I'm out there hunting, and uh, I'm out there, and I'm going through, and I finally get to this tree, and this dog belonged. See, Bobby had bought him from an often old man that couldn't hunt anymore. Mm-hmm. It was nothing but a hide dog. Right. And I get into this tree with this dog, old dollar dog, big old ball mouth dog, typical blue tick, you know. He was echo bred. Take, was, him, take him two hours his, to get his mama, his mama was off of echo four. It took him at least four hours. You know, he was a true blue dog. You know, yeah. he treated two possums <laughs> on the way. And uh, I remember walking into this tree, first time by myself hunting this dog. And uh, I remember backing up, and I'm looking in this tree for this, for this coon. And uh, the dog shuts up, totally silent. And I'm like, where's my dog at? I look around. This dog is looking in this tree too. I'm like, "How much you been hunted, boy?" Yeah. <laughs> he's looking. He's, he's he's looking up. You know, the dog's looking up in the tree. He's dead dead quiet, of course. Like they they all get been knocked a bunch out too. He's dead oh, quiet. Yeah. He's just waiting on that. Just waiting on that sound. Just waiting on that crack and waiting on that fall. And I remember finding that coon and knocking it out. And that dog carried that coon all the way back to the truck for me. It's probably like 800 yards. You know, and uh, it was like couldn't beat it you know yeah. it's like it's like i'm lit for life it's probably the worst drug i've ever done is coon hunting and uh but it was just from then on i wanted to hunt now my style of hunting and jerry's style of hunting have changed over the years you know mm-hmm. i'm not well before we get there i got i gotta follow you i gotta jump in here because i got questions jump in all, all over it briar creek kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter boots lights collars and tracking equipment Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a Garmin and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top-of-the-industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, 
Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. So, the reason I asked you about that, if he had been given that pup or that mm-hmm. young dog, I always see, and I think the intentions are absolutely pure. You know, I've got the, I've got a pup I'd like to give to a kid. I have found that I like hunting young dogs. You know, I, I, they they excite me. You never know what you're going to, you yeah. know, getting them to that point where they're consistent and they're, they're hunting good. I really like that. Um, so by the time a dog, if I take a dog out and I unsnap it and I know what it's going to do and it's going to go out there and tree a coon, I get bored with it. Yeah. Um, I've always said, if you want to get these kids really hooked on coon hunting, give them those older dogs. That you're not hunting no more. Yeah, maybe maybe you're you know you're past them on your breeding program and and uh, you're not hunting anymore. That's those are the dogs that are going to get these kids interested because they're they're easy. It's it's all new to them. They're yeah. fun. But if if they can't figure stuff out, they have no these kids have no experience. It's it's like putting the boxing gloves on a on a kid and putting him in the ring with you with the open open fighter somebody that's really good all you're gonna do is get them get them burned out right then get them yeah. beat up so i don't really want to do this this right. don't sound like no fun right you put them there with somebody that's, that's equal to them and give them an opportunity is totally different yeah and so like and with I, the kid I, you got to shelter them on that yeah but i'm not saying you know we do everything for them i'm just saying you know, you you give them the right start. You know, you don't have to go out there and and do everything. There's You've a got lot to, to light the fire for them. Yeah, you got to light. That's the all fire. we're doing. That's all you got to do. You don't you don't have to you don't have to keep the fire lit. All you have to do is light the fire for them. Give them that it's dog to you that to gives them the opportunity. Wood. That's right. Give them the dog to give them the opportunity, and uh, to do it. You know, dollar the old dollar dog I had. He was a finished dog. Yeah, he, he was what he was always going to be. He was never going to be anything more or anything less. You know, I've seen him be a lot less. I shouldn't say that. But uh, he was always going to be that kind of dog. Yeah. You know, he was at the pinnacle of his thing. He was never going to make any kind of competition dog or anything like that. And so. So where did you go? How did you get into competition? How? Let's talk about that party. I'm competitive. And so yeah. I remember going with Jerry. And we went to an AKC hunt in Welder, Texas with Ken Woodmaker and uh ray is there and all of them you know clint burger and uh I drew out first first competition i ever went on I ever competed in i drew out with kenwood clint and uh clint didn't have pistol he had i don't remember what he had back then uh and i can't remember who else I, I drew out with but i remember getting out there and uh jerry had told me ryan won't you come with me to one and just watch mm-hmm. watch how it's done and me being me i'm impulsive i want to do stuff right now and i want to find out yeah. I'm like, Jerry, I already got my dog here. Showed him. I said, Why don't I just go hunt him? I want to hunt him. I've been, I've already read the rule book two, three, four times on the way down right. there. And I was riding with Jerry. And um, he's like, Okay. Like, <laughs> he's like, Good luck. You know, you don't want to listen. It'd be a lot easier if you did. And that's something I've learned too. And uh, so I got there on this coon hunt with uh, Kenwood and them. And I remember Kenwood, I don't remember he's hunting. Uh, man, he's. All of a sudden, he comes out with a roar, 
tree, whoever. I'm mean, like loud, like and it freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> I was like, what? You know? So I know we were getting this excited. I know we were getting Pentecostal over it, you know. <laughs> and so, and uh, and so then I try to keep up with them, you know. And I end up uh, losing a tiebreaker, right? Losing down on a tiebreaker because uh, dog did tree a coon. He did, he did what he always does. He goes out there and he trees a coon. He's not the fastest about it, but he's always pretty honest about it. Yeah. Unless something was a a little bit a little bit touchy on a tree, not necessarily a mean dog, but anything that was a little bit pushy, even. He he might be there, but he's gonna be pretty far back, or yeah. he's not gonna be there at all. You know, he just couldn't take any kind of pressure, and uh, so I had a lot of fun with him. And that was my first competition. And I remember after that, I had made some mistakes on my calls. They could have won me the cast, yeah, and it bothered me because I wasn't prepared. You weren't prepared. I, I was getting prepared. ready to say that I wasn't prepared, and so I was like, I can't do this. My dog was prepared. I wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. And so now I always try to be at least prepared no matter what. Which I, I am normally for competition hunts. My dog isn't always because I come out of camp. I don't hunt, you know. And so, but anyways, get back to what I was talking about. And so, you know, I hunted dollar like that. And I was like, I like, and of course I'm hooked. And now I've had the competition. Hunt. Now I want to win. Right. You know, I, the first time I went, I would like to win. Don't get me wrong. But I was just going kind of see and fill it out get used to it. it as my first one i wasn't expecting nothing special i'm smart enough about that from, right. from sports i don't know who i'm going to draw it with what kind of dogs i'm drawing out with and and the more i did it the more the more i wanted mm -hmm. not necessarily in as far as winning the more winning i wanted the more consistency the more uh, i wanted to see my dogs do everything right because i realized at that point my dogs are a reflection of me on okay, my hunting and my training but how realistically though you want to see them do everything right, but they're still just dogs. So how, you, how do you deal with that in a cast when a dog makes a mistake and you know they're not doing something right? If I've been prepared, mm -hmm. if my dog is prepared and I am prepared, and my dog does something wrong, of course you can't, you're in a cast. You, you can't, can't do no correcting or doing anything right. with it. Does it make me frustrated? It might frustrate me, but I always now... Now it doesn't so much now as it did back then. I used to I used to get mad, just downright mad, not poor sportsman mad to everybody else, but I'd be downright mad at that dog. Mm -hmm. Dog, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. I hate you. You sorry sack of bones, you know, or whatever. And uh, now I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I want to know why he did it for one. And uh, is it genetic? Is this why he's falling back on this, or is it this, or this, or did this? Did I fail to prepare him? Getting did ready I fail for this? him on this topic or on this subject? Did I not do this? Did don't I not you think prepare him in this way? Don't you think the best handlers though they can pivot? It's just like it's just like being in you the box. You got to be able right? to make adjustments. You got to be able to make adjustments. My dog made a mistake, so now we know we got to do this. That's right. We're you know we did we got the bad call there. We you know somebody else got a got a good break. So now we've got to do I this. I learn from it. Yeah. I learn from it. So every time I get in these casts, it's, I learn something every time I'm in a cast. Mm -hmm. Even, and it's not always a good thing. You know, I, I learn things not to do right. <laughs> that right. I've done. And I learn, I see somebody do something. I'm like, well, now I know not ever to do that. You know, right. that was a terrible mistake he made. And so uh, I learned a lot from listening and talking to Jerry and Ray Dismukes down here. He's uh, probably one of the most active coon hunters I know in the state of Texas still and he's in his mid to late 70s you yeah. know but um i learned a lot from them you know ray it's funny talking about who's competitive and who isn't competition hunts i'm not that competitive 
I'm just not. Unless my dog's really prepared, then I'm competitive. I want to win. But a lot of it, to me, still resides on the dog, not as much me at that point. Yeah. You know, I'm prepared to call my dog the best I can. Ray, ain't never seen a more competitive person in my life. This is uh, he's he's as competitive in coon hunting as I am in boxing. Well, what does that look like though? Because we got some people listen to the podcast and they think, you know, they're thinking when you say competitive, then I think a lot of times people that aren't familiar with competition coon hunting and a true competitor, they think, man, he's competitive. That means he's going to try to take advantage of everything. He's going to try to, you know, he's going to try to get by with what he gets by with. You know, what does that, what does that mean? When you say he's competitive, what is Ray draw a picture for us? Ray knows the rules inside and out. Uh-huh. Think of somebody as the best judge you can imagine. The, the person that knows the most, the teacher, think mm-hmm. of someone like that. And then on top of that, the teacher hunts more than anybody you know. The teacher knows his dog better than anyone you know. Mm-hmm. He is willing to sacrifice all of that to win. Mm-hmm. And when he does that... Is he willing to sacrifice his character and his principles? He's not willing to sacrifice his integrity. Okay. He's not going to come out there and pencil whip a kid. Right. You know, he's not going to do that. Now you're in a you're in a big hunt. He's gonna win. You do something wrong. He's gonna tell you did something wrong. All right, it's, that's it's, that's it's a, what I'm a, trying to. It's yeah. a hunt. You're gonna he's gonna do that. It's gonna be like that. So if I show up, and we're in a we're in a big hunt, you know, and I, I'm an experienced coon hunter. I've known Ray for a long time. I'm I'm Ray's one of my best buddies that I hunt mm-hmm. with, and I draw out with Ray. Ray's gonna beat me, and he's gonna try to best he can. Right. And so if I go out there, and uh, I strike my dog, and he knows my dog's better than I do. Because we hunt a lot. And uh, if I was to strike my dog and it's not my dog, he's going to minus me right there. Right. Instantly. It's the rules. Right. It's it's not my fault you did it. You know, I'm just here to enforce it. I'm the judge. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. We walk into a tree. My dog don't do it. But if a dog walks back to you, minus. You walk into a tree, your dog's nose on the ground, minus. I don't care if he's five feet from the tree. It's like that, you know. Yeah. His dog is five feet from the tree, nose on the ground, minus himself. Yeah. Just like that. But it's not because he hunts them so much. Is if it happens, I, I say it's not because dogs will do anything. You say right. they won't do it, they'll do it first thing as soon as they can. And uh, but you know, so raised that way, he's he's competitive. Um, I'll tell you, I got, I got a real funny story. We were hunting Autumn Oaks. I drew Dick Brothers in this cast, and uh, it was the fiftieth, and I was hunting plot male uh, Boone, and this he was split tree walking to him. We get in there. And uh, he had shut up for just a second, and I and I thought, what's he doing? And we kept walking, and it wasn't like a deal. He shut up, and we stopped and put the two on him. We were only like 30 yards from the tree. Yeah. He was right over a little rise. I mean, just a little rise, and we just took like five steps up to the top and shined our lights. And that sucker had his nose on a log over here, and when he saw us, he knew that he yeah. wasn't supposed to be there, and boom, he's back on the tree. Dick minus him, and I, that was one of those deals It's like, he was prepared. I was prepared. Yeah. But he was being a dog. And it was like, man, of all times to start being a dog is now. That's right. And we took the pump, and he got back on it. And I said, tree him back in, because I knew he wasn't going to leave. Yeah. Me. And everything right everything was treed. Yeah. So, so immediately I could handle right him. Right there. And bang, I handled him, and, and he had a coon. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I took a 100 pump. And it wasn't that he wasn't prepared. That was one of those freak things where it was like, 
of all the time. You know, you can do that when I'm three or four hundred yards away. Yeah, not right now. But when I got my light on you. And the and Dick Don't Brothers. Don't you hear my kicking. feet coming, boy? You know, <laughs> Dick Brothers is standing right there with me, but with the yeah. card, and he's like, he was more than happy to put that. Oh, minus of course, right there. yeah, we're here to win. That's and that's that's the way it is. So if I'm in a fight, and somebody makes a mistake, I'm going to capitalize on it yeah. right then. I don't care. This isn't life. Ain't fair. You made a mistake. You're going to pay for it. Well, okay. So, so that's a good good topic right there, Ryan. You know, how do you? Uh, a lot of people don't know how to lose. They don't know how to. And I'm not even going to say lose. I'm going to say, um, you know, take that minus, take that, take that adversity that mm-hmm. they're facing in that cast and they never are able to bounce back from that throughout the whole cast they sit there and they harbor Sour. and they think about you know what maybe their dog did it to them maybe they took a, a minus that they don't agree with or they don't understand but they pack that with them i've seen so many hunters and casts they lose the cast in the first 10 minutes because they never get over it they're like a kid like a kid that sours never learned it and they can't get past it. Mm-hmm. They're still stuck on that the whole time and they'll hate you forever for it. That's how they act in that moment. Yeah. Next time you see them, they might be good and might be totally different. It's just in that moment they get so worked up in their emotions. Uh, you can't let your emotions control you in anything you do. Because mm-hmm. if your emotions can control you, that means someone else can control you. Just just by affecting your emotions. Right. You know, making you feel a certain type of way. I can <laughs> control your whole life. And so the way that I do it with the learning how to lose is the only way that I can lose. I've lost whenever I did not give everything and I hated it. It made me so sour mm-hmm. and upset when I lose, when I give everything, you can't, you, you, you never know I lost. I'm content and happy. So I gave everything I had. Uh, I was fighting in San Antonio, the world title fight. I, uh, it's a close fight. I get, uh, I get cut right above my eye. Right here, almost like a lightning bolt. Some people call it a Harry Potter looking, but it was a big old gash. Yeah, you can still see and, a scar. And blood there. is pouring in my face, mm-hmm. in my eye. I can't see at all out of my right eye. Nothing but red. And of course, you don't say I can't see because what do you happens if you say you can't see? Yeah, they're the fight to stop. Keep, yeah, right. And uh, I'm in a close fight. I feel like it's pretty even, but I'm fighting the world champion in his hometown. I'm not going to stop right now because I'm going to lose for sure. Guaranteed almost for me, mm-hmm. right? And so it's the sixth round, and I'm fighting hard. And I go out there, and I land two big right hands. And it's funny because— You say you were in the sixth round? We're in the sixth round. And mm-hmm. so I get cut, and I can't I can't see it all. They stop it. The doctor looks at my eye and stuff. I can't see nothing. They put me back out there. Not a big deal. They don't even care. <laughs> it's Texas. And so— I'm out there fighting, and I'm just, I'm just throwing big punches, and I'm going forward. I can't see it all. Mm-hmm. I can't see nothing coming from my right side. And so I got my right hand on my cheekbone, and I'm throwing that right hand hard as I can. And uh, end up losing, losing a fight, get get knocked down, get uh, – I, I, I get T uh, – he waves TKO. it off, right, TKO. And I get up, and I, can't, I still can't see on my right eye. And I was already dazed from the headbutt. It was a pretty hard headbutt. And as I'm leaving – the crowd is just cheering for me and yelling for me all up here over in the Alamo Dome or whatever it is over there in San Antonio, and they're all cheering. It's like a huge crowd, and I've got my hands up, and everybody loves me. Why do they love me? Because I gave it all I had. Yeah. I did not quit. I had opportunities to quit. Mm-hmm. I got hit with hard punches. I got hit with the body shot earlier. Made me feel sick as a dog. <laughs> I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about a dog would have been better than me. I'm, I've, you're talking about paralyzing and uh, you work through it, you fight through it, you don't quit. 
you can't have a quit in you. And there, and since I fought through that and I gave it all I had, when I did lose, even yeah. though I was stopped in the sixth round, people loved me and I had all my respect. Nobody, nobody could tell me anything because right. I gave it all I had. So I have, I'll never have a regret about that fight. I could say, well, I wish I would have done this different, you know, and strategy wise, but I gave it all I had that night. Yeah. My last fight, I lost a split decision. In a ten round fight on Fox, and uh, some, a lot of people thought I won. I thought I won. My timing was off. I missed weight. My I wasn't in the best shape of my life. I I wasn't. You know, I wasn't as prepared as I should have been. Mm-hmm. I was I was in good shape, but I wasn't as slim as I should. And I guess my diet wasn't as good as it could have been. And I had to reweigh in the day of the fight, about five hours before I fought. And so I'm super dry. I'm so dry. I come to fight night. I haven't. I weighed in the first time on Friday. And it was the last time I had peed was on Thursday, Thursday night. And so I fight on Friday. I mean, I weigh, I weigh in on Friday. I weigh in again on Saturday. Still haven't peed. I fight Saturday. I don't, I don't, I don't have enough fluid to pee until Saturday afternoon on the flight home. Mm. So I'm extremely dry. And so I, I have no timing. I can't cut. But I've got all the work you can, all the work you can take. I get in this fight and I'm trash the first three rounds. I can't move. I can't. I can see things coming, but I can't do nothing about it. I'm slow. Right. I'm just. I feel like I'm just now. I'm full of water now because I've made this weight and I've rehydrated. But I, I can't do nothing. I'm just right. slow and pitiful. And so what do I do? What I know how to do? I bite down on my mouthpiece and say, "Hey, you want to fight? You know, Ryan. This is all you can do. You don't have any timing, but you can work. You know, I'm not going to get tired." And so I went out there and I worked like a dog for the last seven rounds, give it all I had, getting hit with big shots early, but I thought that I pulled it out. Most everybody did, and I lost the fight, which which is fine. I had no, it doesn't bother me because I gave it all I had that night. Was mm-hmm. I my best? No, I was probably my worst I've ever been in a fight in my life. But I made adjustments and I did what I could. Yeah. And so with learning how to lose, it's got to be like that. If you go out there and you don't try your best, you're always going to hate it when you lose. Mm-hmm. You're going to be sour every time. If you go unprepared and you lose, which doesn't make sense. You would think if you would, would go unprepared that you would be fine with losing because you know you're not ready. Exactly. But it's backwards. But have you ever been have you ever been going into some a cast or a fight where you thought you were prepared and lost? You lost and then you and then in retrospect you're like uh, I wasn't. I wasn't really prepared. I just thought I was prepared. That fight I just told you about. The last fight I thought that I was really prepared. Mm-hmm. My weight wasn't right because yeah. I wasn't um, sacrificing like I should have been. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that I was prepared, and I lost the fight. And I go back and look at it, and I know that I wasn't as prepared as I could have been. I was. That seems to be the times when when I see people the most bitter. Um, you draw that guy in the cast. His dog's overweight. He doesn't know the rules, and then you minus him, and he doesn't understand why. Now you're a cheater. And yeah, I'm just trying to cheat him. Yeah. I'm just and I can't looking for an excuse. I, exactly, I can't stress it enough, and that's why it's you know we we've had other professional athletes on here, Cody Lostro and and others. Josh has uh, interviewed. I've interviewed a few guys and, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's those messages that we bring have parallels to coon hunting and competition hunting. And it's all the same. The person that, you know, people say, and I, I, I used to look at this 
people would come in. It's being overplayed now, but people would come in from a cast when it started with PKC. And you're doing good, and you know, automatically somebody said, "Yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky tonight." Mm-hmm. Well, no, you didn't. You didn't get lucky. You were prepared for this moment. Hard work and opportunity. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you do get lucky. Yeah. Well, of course, there's always going to be breaks. You're yeah. always going to get breaks. Yeah. And everything. But, but it's always, oh, I got lucky tonight. Well, luck is where preparation and opportunity intersect. You know, you've got the opportunity. You're prepared for it. You're going to take full advantage of it. And that's your luck right there. You make it. You make your luck. Yeah. My wife, Cor- uh, my wife her uh, grandpa, Corky Keene. One of the older horsemen in, in, in the state of Texas. He was the oldest horseshoer, and he was also uh, the youngest jockey. Oh, you no know? And so he was shoeing horses still. He was 85 years old, so Ooh. he was still shoeing horses. And uh, I think he was 12 years old. He won his first horse race mm. as a jockey. Yeah. And so uh, he's, an ext- he's a cowboy to the yeah. core. Everything about it. That's all he's done his whole life was cowboy uh train horses mm-hmm. and shoe horses and uh he always told me always told me this the harder i work the luckier i get <laughs> he always told me that all the time and he'd tell me that and he'd say keep smiling people wonder what you're smiling about yeah and the harder i work the luckier i get and he's right it's it's all it is is you're right it's preparation opportunity come together in the right spot and so whenever you're not prepared and you have an opportunity talk about make you sour yeah. You know, you get this opportunity where you could have capitalized yes. on something and you realize that you cannot because of your own shortcomings. Once you re- start realizing your own failures, that's what makes people either sour or work harder or realize it and change their life. Right. You know? Right. And so that that's that's what happened to me plenty of times mm. where I've realized um so like for instance, I was a runner in school. Uh distance runner. And I can run like the wind. It's always been easy to me. We would go run, and I would go run, and I would, uh, if I had any competition, I would run hard. There would be nobody in, in practice that's going to beat me. I've always been like that. You know, I'm going to be the best. This is might as well be a race for me. As right. long as I'm winning, I'm fine. And if I'm not, I'm going to be, <laughs> you know. and uh, Or I'd be like, just stop. Wouldn't run. Wouldn't practice. I'd go run off, and I'd go hang out, and then I'd come running back or whatever. I would never put in all the effort because I had all the natural talent. Mm-hmm. It was easy. I was winning first place, second place. All the time, and I didn't do hardly anything. Right. I remember having guys tell me, I'm running 10 miles a day. I said, I might run 10 miles in two weeks. We're running three-mile races, and I'm beating them. <laughs> it's just natural. Yeah. And uh, I realized later how much I wasted. All that all that opportunity I could have had, all that potential I had, I wasted it, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's uh, it'll make you sour, realizing what you threw away. And I think that's what happens to people all the time is they realize the type of dog they had. And all these opportunities ahead, and they just and it's what they really loved and really wanted to do, but they didn't do it. They, they say they it. wanted to do it, but they didn't. And you're going to do what you really want. What's in your heart is what you're going to do. That's what's yeah. going to come out. And if it's not really there, you can't put it there. You know, you can't put that toughness there. You can't put that grit. You can't put uh, the hard work there if it's not there. If you don't really want it, you're not going to go do what you have to do to get it. You're not going to wake up at four in the morning to go run. Right. You're not going to not eat. You know, uh, you're not going to cut your calories down to 700 calories a day while you're working out three times a day because you've got to make that weight and right. you're overweight and you got to, you got to fix what you did on the weekend. You know, yeah. you got, you got to, you're going to pay for that. And that's right. the good thing about boxing is you pay for everything you do. 
mm-hmm. and everybody's going to see it. And so it's so magnified that I think that it uh, it makes it extreme. It's just it teaches you life lessons, but on an extreme level. Because yeah. I'm going to fight, and I'm going to be on Fox. I'm going to be on Fox or Showtime pay per view. I'm going to be in front of the world. And if they don't see it right now, don't worry. It's recorded. You can find it for the rest of my life. You right. know, it'll be somewhere. You'll be able to see me either knock him out or get knocked out. Yeah, you're gonna see something. You know, you're gonna see uh, Roberto Duran. Everybody hated him for quitting. Something people ne- will never forget the No Moss fight. You know, him and Sugar right. No Moss. No matter how many times. I mean, no matter the way he beat him the first time. You know, yeah. won the first fight, and all the great fights he won after that. What do people remember? No, no Moss. Moss. That's it. Yep. And uh, so you got to remember, people are going to remember the weakest thing about you. People are going to remember the weakest thing about you. And that's it. Yeah. All right. So to wrap this up, Ryan, you know, you're active here in your church. We're actually sitting in your church uh, recording this. And uh, your preacher was talking about trying to get you involved in youth ministry and stuff like that. There's a lot of kids, not just kids, but but young guys that are coming into this thing and and want to achieve great things and and they've got these dreams. What message do you have for them? Well, you know, I always I've always said it, and uh, but I didn't always do it. I always said, oh, you "That's gotta, me." You got to keep God first. It's like like talking <laughs> right. about Paul and Romans. Why do I do the things that I hate? You know, or, or the I don't do what I want to do. Right. You know, and the things I do I hate. Why do I do them? You know, it's like uh, I always always told people. Uh, you know, you got to keep God first. God's got to be number one in your life. You want to have a, you know, you want to be ready. You want to do these things you want to do. Keep God first and uh, have faith and always look to Him and pray about it. You know, I said pray about it. You know, and then I realized I tell people pray about it, but I'm not praying about it. You know, yeah. I'm having these hard times. I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you could say I'm a hypocrite whenever I would do that, or you could say that I was a fool, and either one of them would be right, you know, because I wasn't doing what I was what I was saying you should do and what was right. And if I had to tell anybody what to do um, to make their life the life that they want to have, it's going to be, of course, uh, pick your – actually, actually, it's not going to be just for me to say keep God first. I would say read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Because reading the Living Word will change your life. It has mine drastically changed my life, my outlook on everything, not just my outlook, just my entire life, all the way to the core. Reading the Bible for myself instead of listening to people all the time. Don't listen to people tell you what the rules are in a cast. Read your rule book. Mm-hmm. Why would you not do that? Of course, you would. Everybody that really wants to be a winner is right. going to do what? Read their rule book over <laughs> and over. Read the rule book. Jerry Maul used to write rules corner. Yeah. Alan Gingrich and, the and Trevor up there write, writing the Coonhound Advisor. You can't just read the rules. I mean, okay, so you you brought up the Bible. You brought up the religious part. Anybody can sit down and read the Bible. That's right. You know, there's, there's, there's non-believers that know uh, the Bible forward and back. The devil knows the Bible better than any preacher does. There you go. And... So it's not just enough to to read that. You got to live it. You got to find ways to apply it. You got all those things. Well, so the more you read the Bible, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in this now, right? So I was always always went to Sunday school and stuff as a kid and all these things. Let, this, let me finish my thought. Go ahead. I kind of left it hanging. Yeah, out go ahead. There. So we're talking about the Bible. The same thing goes for these Coonhound rules. You know, you can sit down and you can read the card, but you need to be reading the interpretation 
of the rules and know how to use it. And yes, and know how this can happen. You can do scenarios. That's when you become like a hypocrite. That. Whether it be in the Bible, you know, oh, he's always carrying that Bible. He's always reading his Bible. But then I, he treated this person like that, and then and That's then right. you're always you're always you know I'm I'm a competition coon hunter, but you don't apply it. You don't apply the spirit of what we're trying to do. And, and that's, that's where we all need to improve. You know how many, how many people I've, I've seen pencil whipped and, uh, and, and downright, I'm talking about almost, almost on that fine line of cheating, you know, just about just, just trying to win at all costs. Right. More of them are preachers than any of them. You know, and that's just a fact. And it's not, and they were all hunting blue ticks too, you know, so, so you can say it's two double, that's a double negative right there. And so, but no, uh, you know, I think that reading the Bible is going to change your life. And the next thing is going to be, you know, cause like I said about reading, the, listening to the, t- somebody teach you this stuff and tell you what the Bible says, it's not always going to be right. Maybe it's their interpretation. What I learned in Sunday school compared to what I'm reading in the Bible myself it's not the same. Right. It's not theirs. Like, it don't matter what you want to say or how, what it was. I'm like, y'all didn't teach me correct on this issue. You know, I remember these, what, what I was taught, and I'm reading it for myself. I don't know how you got that. You know, right. it doesn't make sense. And so read things for yourself. You're not going to take advice about something without knowing the rules. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go fight without knowing the rules. I'm not going to go into a fight without knowing what I can and cannot do, what I have to do, how I can rehydrate how I can lose this weight, mm-hmm. what I have to be exactly. I'm not going to let some guy just tell me what it is. Hey, Ryan, I remember one time I fought, and I show up to make this weight. Now, I've already lost the weight. I flew in the day before fighting in, uh, I'm fighting in, where am I fighting at? I think I'm fighting way down south in Hidalgo, down there by McAllen. And so I'm ready to make the weight. We're at this venue, right? We're actually making weight at some kind of sports bar. They had a lot of people there, and I'm and some guy comes up and says, Hey, cowboy. I said, hey, man, what's up? I'm not real talkative anyways before I make weight because I don't feel very good. I'm making right. weight, I'm kind of mean, my wife would say. And uh, <laughs> and so he says, hey, man, we're, we're looking for a guy for you, man. We're looking for a guy for you. I said, what are you talking about? He said, uh, what? They didn't tell you? I said, no, tell me what? He says, oh, I didn't, I didn't tell you nothing, man. I didn't tell you nothing. I said, no, you're going to tell me. <laughs> like, wh- what? He says, uh, your, your opponent didn't show up. He, he didn't show up for the fight. I was supposed to fight an MMA fighter. He was like 2 or 3-0 and o or something like that, and I was about the same. I said, what are you talking about? He didn't show up. I don't have an opponent. I just made – I'm on weight. I haven't weighed in yet. Right. He said, oh, no, you're okay. We're going to find you somebody, cowboy. Uh, oh, you just go eat. It. It'll be okay. Go eat. It'll be okay. I said, I'm not going to go eat. Uh, out of your mind. I think I'm going to go eat or drink. I done lost all this weight, suffered all this that I had to suffer to make this weight. Yeah. And he's telling me to go eat. And guess what? They found me an opponent, and if I would have gone and ate – and I didn't know the rules, and I would have just listened and obeyed or just did whatever this random guy tells me, I wouldn't have gotten the fight because mm-hmm. I would have been too heavy. I wouldn't have made the weight. Since I made the weight, I had an opponent. But if I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had an opponent. Right. And if I said, well, if I'm point two over in this world title fight, but I had to be 140 pounds, I weighed in 140 pounds, point oh. If I would have been 140.2, we're talking about thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. If I wouldn't have read the rules and known that, we're talking about life and death. Right. The Bible, life and death, heaven and hell. You're looking at cast wins, cast losses. There's no second place. You know, uh, if you're not first or last, Ricky Bobby style. Yeah, it's a fact. <laughs> right. You know, nobody remembers second. You can be the first loser. That's it. 
and not this not to diminish anybody that's gotten second place. You're still good. Your mama loves you. But <laughs> um but you know what I'm saying though, right? Yeah. It's like that, you know, you're going to win or you're going to lose. You're not going to win every day. You're not going to win every you day. You can't take you can't take that second place and kick rocks down the road and and stop playing the game. You got to learn you still, from it. You still beat you still beat two other people in the cast. Um if you're in second place, hoping you're not in a two-dog cast, you know, so you're not Hopefully last. they're splitting. Hopefully, yeah. And so hopefully it's a split anyways, right? And so uh, you've got to push forward. Everything you do, you should learn from. And everything you do, learn about your dog, learn about yourself. You should learn new things about yourself all the time. You yeah. should learn what you can and can't do. And you should be realistic about it. You know, you've got guys out there that unrealistically think something of themselves. They they think that they can go and... Well, you talked about pencil whipping most of the time i've seen people get pencil whipped is because they let it happen that's exactly right they were not prepared that they didn't exactly know the right. rules if they would have stepped up and said i remember one i was hunting what was it what were we hunting it was a big hunt i got handed the card it was an akc hunt and those rules were always screwed up anyway i never liked yeah them. um they were fun weren't they oh i hated them <laughs> i uh, and I and I never knew him. That was my problem. <laughs> That's yeah, I, never, I, didn't, I never knew him. I, I didn't I, either. And I'll tell you why, because we're standing out there in this cast, and I made a call, and this guy, this guy just looked at me and he said, "How do you rule on that?" And I told him, and he just looked at me. and He goes, "I don't think that's right." He didn't get mad. Yeah. He didn't throw a fit. He's like, "I don't think that's right," and I don't think you're you you made the right call. Yeah. And so we stopped the cast. We looked at the rules. He was right. Yeah. I didn't know. I Here I am carrying the card. That, I wasn't trying to. That's right. Uh, but another cast I was on, we were hunting the Winter Classic. And this guy, I mean, he showed up. He rode down with a buddy, brought his dog with him, and thought, mm -hmm. well, we're going to the Winter Classic. I always wanted to hunt that hunt. Yeah. He wasn't prepared. He wasn't. And he had a dog that he, he, he wouldn't strike his dog. First time it was, you know, hey, warning. Yeah. Got to strike your dog on the. Third or before, yeah. Yep. And uh, second time he did it, I said, so-and-so's minus. He goes, what? And I said, your dog's minus. He started getting mad. And dog did it again, scratch. Yeah. You know, it's just like. Easy hey. to scratch them then, isn't it? Huh? It's easy to scratch them then when they start getting mad. Oh, yeah. Well, scratch. Well, it's like Go what we talk about now. So um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily not knowing the rules or just being upset. So one time I was hunting in uh, – Queen City, and I was hunting a female. I would just come out of camp, and I literally drove over to Randy Arnold's in Louisiana or Arkansas, and I picked this female up. He was hunting her for me while I was in camp, mm -hmm. and so this is my first hunt back with this with this female since my fight, and she's been hunted hard all all the whole time I've been gone. I didn't tell Randy not to knock coon out to her because what she did, if you're knocking a ton of coon out to her. You get about thirty yards from her, she's gonna shut up. Thirty, forty yards, and you're not gonna if you if you don't if you can't see her if it's real thick, you're not gonna find her. Right. She's not gonna move. She's gonna sit at the base of the tree like a freaking statue. Mm -hmm. Like a like a and and, <laughs> and it never bothered me before. And I knew it, but I hadn't told them not to shoot coons out or nothing. So I wasn't thinking about it. Right. And I show up to this cast and I draw out with Josh Howard and uh I can't remember the dog he had and uh Mark Vest and there was somebody else. We cut loose. I get in there. I'm second strike, and these dogs are just flying. Man, they're flying through there. And I hear Roxy over here, about 250 yards, locate, and start training. 
I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, she's got a possum right here close. It's <laughs> an RQE too. So I'm like, I'm about ready to go home. I'm just walking out of here. So I strike and treat her. You know, I mean, I already struck her, but I treat her. We walk in there and we get about 40 yards from her. She shuts up. Josh ain't moving. She says, no, we're waiting here. She starts barking. We start walking to her. She shuts up. We're like 25 yards from her. I'm like, Josh, she's right there. I like she's twenty yards from me, twenty five mm-hmm. yards. Dog ain't barking. We ain't walking to her. Two got me. I said, I said, scratch me. Yeah. I said I'm out. And I was mad. I didn't throw a fit. I didn't try to fight. I was mad. But there's nothing I could do about it because my dog wasn't barking. Right. If she'd been barking. I would have felt different. You know, but she wasn't barking. Yeah. I couldn't do nothing about it. And I know. And you're just sitting there in that two minutes. I just, know she's going to. Just a bark. Just give me. Just, just a whine. Give me 10 I mean, barks. you're 20 minutes. You're, you're 20 yards away from me. Russell, like, move some leaves around or something. Walk in there. She's, it took me probably five minutes to find her. I'm looking at the garment. I know she's here. I cannot find this dog. So I'm like, maybe she's in a tree. She's not. She's at the base of this tree sitting here. Stone silent. Not mm. moving a muscle. Looking yeah. right up the tree, just not moving. Dog was smart. She just knew what to expect. And uh, <clears throat> sure enough, she had a coon. And she's sitting over there going, why aren't you, Why isn't the rifle why, cracking? Why am I not getting petted? Yeah. Why is nobody shooting yeah. this coon out? You know. And I had every opportunity to get mad right there. And you could say, I felt like I was cheated. That's what a lot of people have said. I was cheated. And I was only 20 yards away. Went wrong. But it's the rules. Mm-hmm. You know. I can't do nothing about it. Did it make me mad? Oh, I was mad. Yeah. Not necessarily at Josh. I was mad at the situation. I was mad at the dog most of all. But I was mad at myself for not telling Randy and realizing it in that moment. It's like it dawned on me. I'm like, you yeah. fool. You didn't like he'd been knocking these coons out and you knew he was and you didn't say nothing about it. Right. The bitch was perfect. She was great, looking great. And then you go do this. Right. Know, ruin the whole dog. And I had every every opportunity to be mad and throw a fit and go back to the clubhouse and tell everybody how I was cheated. When it done me no good. What would I have looked like? I looked like a loser, you know, because um, I look like other, a sore loser. I look like a sore loser. That's yeah. right. That's what I mean. You wouldn't look like you did any good. Right. I mean, I'm not afraid to lose. You know, I, I read a book called Chasing Failure, and uh, I don't I don't really read very much. I do now, but I never did. And I read this book, Chasing Failures, about chasing success and failing, and how um, you have to be able to accept failure. Mm-hmm. All the greats, anybody that is successful in anything. Are going to fail. They have they have perfected failing. That's right. that's the whole reason they're successful. So they have perfected failing. They have done it so much. They're so good at it that they know how to win mm-hmm. and know how to do these things. And so, um, it's you gotta you gotta be willing to do things. You gotta be willing to fail. Willing to take the opportunities where you know there's a good chance you might fail, doing but still it anyway. doing it anyways. It's like the old John Wayne quote. You know. Uh, uh, having courage is uh, being scared to death and selling up anyways. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, walk softly, carry a big stick, you know, whatever you want to say, right? You got all these different things, but you've got to be able to go forward with it, go through with it. If not, you're going to live your whole life as a, in a fear well, moment. Even your Bible, you know, even the Bible's full of stories of failure. That's you know, right. It's, it's, it's all about that. It's, it's not, it's not a perfectly written book. Where we only talk about success. I mean, you look at all the shortcomings in the Bible. All of it's, them. It's everybody. All, yeah. all every Bible story of every guy you want to tell in the Bible, except for Jesus. Starting with Adam. Except for Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> everybody besides him, you see nothing but shortcomings. You see all their failures, where they failed, where they uh, did not do right by God, and how they came back from it. 
Absolutely. Every one of them. Now, do I believe that there's people that were God tried to reach out to and try to touch and try to do these things with? Of course I do. Mm-hmm. But they weren't as gracious, and they didn't fail the way they failed. And when they did fail, they were uh, ridden with condemnation, and they hated themselves for it, and they thought that they were ruined. You know, they can, they, yeah, they can never. I can never come back from this. You right. know, that's what they think. I can never come back from this. Yeah. And the thing about life is. You can always come back from it. There's nothing you cannot come back from. Um, That's an important message right there, man. Yeah, but especially there's going to be stuff. a cast next week. There's going to be, you know, you get back out there. I don't care whether you're bear hunting or you're hog hunting or whatever. I mean, if you if you're failing, you're going to have other opportunities. You can go back and you can you can blame other things, but. That's exact. This is exactly what I want to talk to you, Ryan. Well, there's only one guarantee. Uh, if you quit, you get one guarantee. You'll never win. Yeah. You'll never do anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. All these things you ever had in your head that you want to do, if you quit now, you're the one guarantee you have is that you will never do it. It will never happen. Mm-hmm. Ever. No matter what, no matter how you try to spin it, it'll never happen. Yeah. And the guarantee that uh you know And if it's something that you really do want, you're gonna hate yourself. You can for talk it. yeah, you can try to justify it in your own mind, but you will always look back on that and think Man, I had an opportunity and I blew it. Well, think about those bitter people you know in your life, <clears throat> especially the older people that you know that have been really bitter about something. Mm-hmm. That's going to be you. You quit, you're going to hate yourself for quitting. Uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, suffer now, live the rest of your life as a champion. You know, mm. we're doing that hard work. Suffer now, live the rest of your life as a champion. Suffer now and uh, do these things that you don't want to do. Have discipline. Discipline is key. Discipline will change your life. Doing things you don't want to do because it's what you're supposed to do, no matter what. All Jocko like, Willink stuff, yeah, man. Like, like you're talking Discipline about, equals freedom. Like you're talking about all these, all these seals and all these, uh, all these rangers, all these top military guys. You got to throw Marines in there from me, right? The Marines. The, uh, the, oh, m- 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 I'm just kidding. The <laughs> Marines. And uh, you know, you got all these guys. One thing in common: all these top guys, these these grade A personalities. They're grade A because why? They're the type A because they don't quit. Right. They're going to keep going. You know, look at the guys that make it that far. That's the only ones they want. They don't want the ones that will quit. That's why their their training is going to be so hard for them special forces guys mm-hmm. because they want to weed those guys out. Those guys that act it and that are, say they are, they've got the talk and they do all these things and they, they never really had to face a lot of adversity and they think they can do it. They really believe they can. They don't have Come down to it. When it comes down yeah, to it, they don't got it. They nope. can't do it. They can't. Nope. They can't. They can't get to that extra point that they have to get to. And that's the same thing with guys like even fighters. So, um, something that I've always loved to do is to fight in a dog fight. Like I'm in a rough, tough type of fight. I've always seen myself before I go into a fight. I see myself. I've, I used to vision myself knocking people out as a young kid, and whenever it wouldn't happen. I would be discouraged in a fight in the first or second round. It's not going like I wanted it to. It's much harder than I thought it was going to be. I envisioned it. I yeah. envisioned this. It's much harder than I thought it so was going to be. So you're already telling yourself you're failing because you haven't knocked this guy out? Yeah. And okay. so it's uh, now, now I'm not as good as I thought I was going to do. Now I'm like, crap. What am I going to do? This guy's better than I thought he was. And it was literally, I literally went through that phase for a while. And I started doing it where I would vision. It's funny because I caught on to this as a kid. I would vision myself in a fight being bloody. Getting knocked down, having you know, being cut, being knocked down, and getting up and winning a hard fight, hmm. where you got to dig down deep. 
And so whenever I get in those fights, if it's easy, it's easy. And if it's not, I'm ready for it. This is just what I wanted. This is just what I thought it would be. Oh, man, and that so, is so cool. And so I never hit that point anymore. Like I used to, in the amateurs, I would hit that point where like, man, this guy's way better than I thought he was going to be. This is way harder than I expected. What am I going to do, right? This guy's, I'm not prepared for this guy. All these, all these doubts start just flooring in, right? Doubts will just straight flood you and kill you. And now instead of that, I'm like, all right, let's go. You know, I get hit hard. All right, let's go. This is what I expected. I get cut. Everybody bleeds. I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to bleed too much, you know, yeah. you know? and uh, if they do, I'm sure hopefully somebody will donate some blood for me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's like that. I've got that idea that it's I'm expecting. I'm not. And it kind of goes back to everybody saying, uh, don't pray for an easy life. Pray for strength to endure a hard life, you know, and that's what I do now. I say, God, strengthen me up. I, I pray to And if you pray for God strength, God's going to give you adversity to make that's you That's exactly right. So that's the thing. So that's another thing I didn't realize, right? So I used to pray for strength or, or I'd pay for, pray for patience, which don't ever do that, guys. Exactly. So anybody's listening, <laughs> do not pray for He's patience. He's going to put trials in your way and to so, make you more patient. When, it, when, you, when, you pray, <laughs> when you pray for strength, God's going to give you trials to make you strong. When you pray for patience, he's going to give you trials to realize you need to be patient. So I remember I prayed for patience and I prayed for strength at the same time because I was like, I like to hate my life, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so I did, and I didn't realize it at the time, and I did, and I, I'm so angry. All of a sudden, I'm having all these issues. Like, I'm having all these problems, and I'm getting so angry at all of them, and I'm not patient, and I'm getting angry. And, God and says, I, remember hey. about the, I remember about the third or fourth day of this. I mean, it's like every day. And uh, it's like the, the, the man that looks in a mirror and forgets what he looks like, you know, yeah, about James. And so now I've done this, and I'm like, you fool. You've just prayed for this. And God is doing it for you. Yeah. And now it was like all of a sudden, all these I kept having trials, and it's like they're all so easy. They're yeah. all so easy. I'm not mad. And that was the key to all of it, being patient. It's going to be all right. I tell my wife that all the time. She hates it. She hates it. It's going to be all right. We'll, we'll be broke or struggling or something, right, in our life. And I was oh, baby, it'll be fine. We'll be all right. That's right. We'll be fine. And it's the she's same like, way. It's she's the like, same. shut up, Ryan. <laughs> Stop praying for yeah. this stuff. yeah. It's the same thing, I, and that's why, the, you know, everything here is a microcosm. Of course, this is a Hound podcast, but uh, I think it's so important to discuss the real issues in life. What's keep holding us back? What's keeping us back? Why aren't we enjoying this as much as we we should? Have we put too much emphasis on it? Where can we find other ways and other life lessons? You know, we can't live in this little silo and always get our, get our uh, advice from just within our own little circles we have to look at big picture stuff you know we gotta uh, i i think that's the key to that's the key to understanding the bible is being able to see the world around you and apply real world things to what what we read in the bible that's what it's like to be a successful houndsman you know i've I've written articles about this you know if you want to be a successful houndsman you want to enjoy your hunt make sure things are taken care of at home yeah you know just well, that that one part but we do we do need to get this wrapped up. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for three days, right? Yeah, I hey, want to come back next I could year. Too. Come on back, we'll go hunting this time. Uh, you know, I had a if little. If we can, little, I want, everything's you know, been a little short for me this time. God yeah. willing, yes, right. You can't plan ahead. Yeah, and but, so God willing, come back. We'll go for a hunt. We'll do we'll do this again anytime you want to. No problem. I enjoy it. I love it, and uh, I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you taking time, especially with everything you've had going on and training and and family stuff. And uh, uh, what a great what a great stop this was to make time time to sit down and talk to you while I was down here in 
Texas. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming and inviting me to do this and always enjoy talking. You know, I, yeah. I, I love to talk. It's much easier than fighting and training. And so it's always, you know, top of my list over those, you know. I got something I'll talk to you about after we get off the air. I got an idea. All right. All right. I'm game. All right, buddy. Hey, until next time, you follow your hands. Oh, I'll yeah. follow mine. I will. I'll run them down. All right. All right. <laughs>